Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. We are thrilled to be back for a sixth season of Matchpoint Canada. This is our official season preview of 2024. And joining us, she's one of the top young commentators in the game. You've heard her on BBC, Tennis TV, Eurosport, Grand Slam radio stations, and elsewhere. So happy to welcome back our friend Abigail Johnson to the podcast. Abigail, how are you? I'm well, thanks, and very happy to be here. And I was just saying before we started recording, here in Melbourne, I'm finally looking at some sunshine, which is a great forecast for the rest of the week of qualifying, which has been delayed by a day. So uh, with the Sunday start to main draw this year, let's hope we can start getting through the matches so that whoever comes through into main draw gets a little bit of rest before we kick off there. Yeah, And hopefully that sunshine helps you wake up today too because we we have to thank you especially not just for being our first guest of the season but for waking up early and starting your day with us on match point canada and uh, just completely justifying why we've reached out for you to uh, kickstart the season on match point canada this year oh thanks mike yeah i i'm not a morning person but this uh, this gig forces you to be an all times of the day person because you don't know when <laughs> the tennis will finish and it's sometimes your first match on the next day so you have to get back up and um, yeah there's always a few days after a big tournament like this where you can crash and just recuperate because uh, it's not always easy to maintain your sleep schedule during that time so yeah I do my best. Well that that should uh, lead me to ask you um how how was your off season? I suppose because you know you're you're part of that long tennis calendar year. Did you get a little bit of time to sort of regroup from a busy 2023? And what's your schedule sort of leading into the year? I know we saw you working in Brisbane and obviously uh, preparing and and now getting some work done down under ahead of the Australian Open. Yeah, um, I I got a little bit of time. I mean, some of it is on me because I like to fill up my time and kind of stay within the game. I actually went traveling with a a player that I'm good friends with to an ITF event for a couple of weeks, which is something that I've been intending to do for a while. So that overlapped into the off season. Uh, And then I still do a fair little bit of work when I can at domestic events in the UK. And that ran up close to Christmas. So those things are quite spread out before you know it. It's, it is Christmas <laughs> and the off season has disappeared. But I got a nice few days with my family before flying out to Australia at the end of December. Uh, kickstarted with Brisbane, which was awesome because I've always loved Brisbane growing up. It was It's funny because there were a lot of tournaments first week of the season, but it was always Brisbane that signified the start of a new tennis year for me. Uh, they always get such a strong field there, and uh, I, I think it testifies to the city, to the tournament, to how well it's run. Um, and, and this was the first one back there um, in three, four years even, 2024 now, four years since there had last been an event in, in Brisbane and five years for the men. Uh, so yeah that was awesome and then I've um, flown over to Melbourne it's qualifying week Uh, I'm kind of on standby to do a bit of commentary this week but um, got a few people I know in the qualifying so I'll be around site just kind of gathering knowledge ahead of the main draw because once I hit the main draw I've got uh, commentary for television two lots of radio commentary and the thing especially with the radio commentary gigs is you don't necessarily get handed a match you get handed a shift for maybe like an hour and a half so you never actually know who you'll be covering and however much information that you can soak in that's relevant ahead of time that's really going to help you for when they throw you on a random shift and you, you don't have a clue who you're commentating on and you know just being able to talk about the site the the other players the draw all of this stuff it really adds to the color of a radio broadcast so yeah I take that really seriously and I, and I love doing that during a slam there's not as much opportunity opportunity these days to to do radio commentary and um it's something I really look forward to on on AO radio at the Australian Open talk about a big ask not knowing who you're going to be covering up until pretty much <laughs> go time but credit to you and all the the matches that you watch throughout the season and doing your due diligence which doesn't surprise me at all in preparing yourself, but it really does take away from your downtime. There is no downtime because you're always gathering that knowledge, as as you mentioned, basically. Um, as the season starts, I want to ask you, Abigail, and, and Ben, you as well, after she goes first, but 
any big tennis New Year's resolutions for 2024, whether it be in the work that you do or, or how you access the sport, but, but tennis specific New Year's resolutions? Did you say me first? Yeah, ladies first. Yes, for <laughs> guests Very first. Very kind. Uh, um, do you know what? I've already failed at mine. And this is terrible because this is um, it, it's something I have in mind at the beginning of every new year. And it is that I will read tennis websites daily again. That used to be just a, a normal thing for me growing up on a Monday morning. The first thing I checked was the new rankings. I would absolutely devour the ATP WCA websites, tennis.com. Uh, there's so many great interviews and insights on those websites. And I, I use them relentlessly for commentary. And when I'm commentating, I'm thinking I should be doing this like every day. Again, what I was saying to kind of absorb that information and have that filed away at the back of my mind. So at the beginning of 2024, I thought, yeah, look, you know, you're a one tournament. Let's keep on top of all the others to the best extent that I can. Um, and then rain hit Brisbane and it got a little bit manic. And I definitely failed on that New Year's resolution within a couple of days. But uh, it's a new week and a chance to go again. So uh, yeah, that was my... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, it's yeah. still week two, right? So uh, nearer the beginning of the season than the end of it. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I'll I'll tell you, mine, Mike, would be on uh, from a professional standpoint, getting to five events this year for 2024. Obviously, we have the National Bank Open, which is right here in Toronto. So that's very, very easy. But being able to travel to at least four other events, and you know, we have Davis Cup, uh, a qualifying tie coming uh, to Montreal in a month. Would love to get to the U.S. Open this year and maybe a couple of our other events in Canada on the West Coast. That's my pro uh, professional goal. Personal goal, uh, win a singles tournament because uh, I have a couple doubles wins over the past couple of years, but haven't won a, a singles title in a little while. A little while so right, that'll right be on, a personal right goal. Mine is just to win a singles match. So, you know, it's a little similar <laughs> okay. to yours, That's but uh, not on the same scale. And uh, professionally similar to you, I'd like to watch more live tennis um and get to a couple more events as well um you know as many listeners know i've got my three kids at home so that's a little bit limiting at this stage of the game for me but i would like to do that and and play more tennis as well uh even at my mediocre level i'd like to get out there more than i did in 2023 um although i did get out i think more last year than i have since um i was in my early 20s so i'm making progress i want to just keep moving forward with that um, thanks for sharing both of you and uh, good luck, Abigail, to get back on track with your already broken New Year's uh, resolution. Uh, start of the new tennis season, fresh start for us in terms of what we do. Uh, fresh start for the players as well. And even though it's a 12 month rolling ranking, I'm always excited to see at the start of the year who's coming out, who's made adjustments, who's worked hard in the off season. And um, what excites you most at the start of the year, Abigail? What are you most looking forward to? in the first month of action on the WT and ATP tours? I'm always interested at the beginning of a new year to see who can back up in terms of things that they've done in, in the previous season, particularly players that have had a breakthrough. That consolidation year is going to be one of the trickiest years of their careers with, with all the points to defend and uh, just having a mindset shift in terms of, you know, playing these higher tournaments and not being the underdog anymore. You're someone that maybe has a bit more of a, a target on your back now. And uh, on that particular front, I was really impressed last week in, in Brisbane with Linda Noskova, who had made the final in Adelaide, which was played in place of Brisbane last year. She's Czech. She's still a teenager. She's 19. And uh, when she made that final run in Adelaide last year, she knocked off some big names to do it, uh, Daria Kasatkina and Anshabur, who were both ranked inside the top 10 at that point in time. Uh, we come to a different venue. She's ranked higher. She, I think she was career high 40. You never know what's going to happen. And she still got herself to the semis, saving match point in round one and uh, only lost in the end to Elena Rybakina, who won the tournament and just still looked really impressive in all aspects of her game. Uh, her... Her completeness as a player um, with a, a decent level of firepower as well to match her skill set, her artillery, the different things she can do with the ball. Uh, it just kind of proved that she wasn't a flash in the pan last year. And I, I think following up with another WTA final and other results last season uh, showed that she's definitely one to keep an eye on. So uh, already at the start of the year, that's been a very interesting story for me to keep track of. 
Yeah, and uh, that's a good segue to to mentioning just what happened in Brisbane and Elena Rybakina, as you said, with that big week and such a dominant week, really, in defeating uh, her rival Arena Sabalenka, six love, six three in the final. I mean, I think a lot of us were astonished by that scoreline. I, I looked at a few stats, and she's now nine and five in her career against top three players, which I was just astounded by. What do you think makes her this kind of big, great, big match player uh, because she's very kind of unassuming on the court. You know, she's not like the fiery attitude type of player. She's much more calm and composed and she's just been able to go about her business so well. Yeah, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there, Ben, to be honest, in terms of the higher up the rankings you go, the margins that separate the players are finer. Most of them are hitting as good a ball as the next player, obviously in very different ways. And um, I love the Rebecca and Sabalenka matchup because they represent kind of the two types of power tennis. Sabalenka has a lot more topspin. Rebecca is hitting a, a lot flatter, but they're still ultra aggressive. Um, and, and I think for... Elena, Rebecca, it would be, you know, just that ice coolness that she has on the court and that laser focus. And the most interesting portion of that final, um, I think, was in the second set when uh, Sabalenka finally held serve. I think maybe it was for 2-1. So that's why you're looking at Rebecca. How does she respond? Does she hiccup? Does she start to get a little bit stressed? And she just went about her tennis again. A, a lot of other matches on, on the WTA tour, if you saw a player go six love, two love up, you would know that there's still a high possibility that they lose that match because there's just a break in the second set that could quite easily turn around. But for Rebecca, once she was up that deficit and you could see visibly that Sabalenka was frustrated, that she was having to try and anticipate shots because she couldn't read where Rebecca was going. Another great aspect of Elena's game when she's on song and has landed that first strike, you've got to do a bit of guesswork to actually buy yourself reaction time. And uh, yeah, the temperaments on that day were very different. And she ran with the lead, Rebecca, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I reckon they could play at the Australian Open as they did last year, and Sabalenka could get the win. It, it's a very day-dependent thing, I think, when she faces off with the top players like that. But the record you just mentioned uh, shows that more often than not, she has the temperament and the head and the focus to really put her A-game out on the court. Yeah, that that's well said and a very impressive week. She must be feeling pretty confident heading down under. Another player, I, I mean, we hadn't seen him in almost a year and we did just get three matches, but Rafael Nadal did make his first comeback to competition. I'm sure many will be disappointed that he's pulled out of the Australian Open due to a muscle tear. But how would you maybe evaluate his week from just a tennis standpoint, what you saw out of him in those three matches? I've got to say his first game back against Dominic Team, and I think he had a probably a good opener against Team. You know, Team's a big name, someone he's familiar with, but also not playing kind of the level of tennis he has done previously. So it was kind of an impressive way for Nadal to reannounce himself without being too tremendously testing, although the level of the first set was high. Just that I think it was a love hold first game and it was just a moment of realization of, of reminiscing of, ah, this is how Nadal hits a tennis ball. This is how he uses the court, you know, and it, it was honestly a joy to see him back out there and to see, you forget how easily he sees things on a court and, and, observes options and utilizes them immediately. There are, there are things that he does that, you know, in another match, you'd kind of gasp, and when it's Nadal, you kind of expect it. But just having having been away from him and his tennis for a year, it gives you a new appreciation for just what he's able to do on a court immediately off the back of, of returning again. Um, first couple of matches, um, I was actually commentating during a second, so I only saw the end. But, you know, he was hitting the ball great against team. And that's something I've noticed about snippets of his practice sessions that I've seen leading up to the event he can still kind of maintain that intensity at least in early stages of matches off the grounds um, he's been getting the reps in for a long time nothing wrong with that uh, I think his serve is still at a good level I was particularly looking 
uh, his returning against team because I remember saying to someone as we were watching the service something that's completely on his racket that he's been practicing for months you're going to get more out of where he's at from from what he does on the return at a decent level uh, but then we come to the third round when he lost to Jordan Thompson and indeed picked up that injury and it, he had three match points a couple of them on serve or at least one on serve two on the return, and then he lost that match in three sets. Uh, very, very winnable. On the first of those match points, he had a high backhand volley on top of the net, which were, or just behind. It was an awkward shot, but, I mean, he had a bit of time on it, could potentially have moved around, or little things that you would look at in retrospect. But for me, I think it's actually quite significant and almost felt right that it went to a third set for the reasons that you've just seen of his body kind of giving way a little bit and now him very, very sadly having to pull out of the Australian Open. Also in that third set, I, I think you could see him giving a little physically, wasn't moving as dynamically as he was earlier in the match. Uh, also much cooler conditions, which he's never enjoyed against someone who was hitting as big as Thompson was at that point and getting that amount of balls back. For me, the fact it went to a third set and physically he couldn't cut it at that point, that underlines that it's a fell that underlined that it's a farewell tour, it's not a comeback. That was my feeling watching it before he even announced the Australian Open thing. I just thought if if you're three matches in and physically struggling already. It keeps everyone's expectations in check and maybe keeps his expectations in check as well because we know the fiery nature he has as a competitor. Uh, I looked at Andy Murray, for an example. These guys are very much in danger of carrying on to a point that they don't know where to stop because they've peaked. They, they've had their best days. So where do you actually draw the line from there? And who knows? Maybe this continues a year or so into the future and all credit to Rafa Nadal, if it does, I know none of us would be complaining, but they were very much the the feelings that I got staying on site till early hours of the morning to, to watch that match and, and feeling like it was quite a significant one in terms of the way it ended up in the end. Are you sure you just woke up because some of these answers are so <laughs> detailed and, and I'm just, I'm floored. I great stuff. And, you know, for Ben Lewis here, who is a, a, a big uh, follower of uh, Rafa Nadal, his whole career, I consider Ben a, uh, a Rafa guru slash expert. Was that answer good enough for you too, Ben? It sounded pretty pretty good. To yeah, you. it was. It was a very very thorough and detailed answer. My one thought on Rafa is, if this were you know three four seasons ago, is is he giving the Australian Open a try? But now at this advanced age, if he wants to give himself that opportunity to really truly be competitive on the clay he's not willing to kind of risk anything going wrong at the Australian Open that that was my sense at least from with the from the withdrawal due due to the muscle tear cuz i'm sure he's played through those types of things before what do they call this... it a micro a micro tear yeah exactly so at yeah. least that's that's my evaluation I'm, I'm not sure if it's accurate or not but he he can't risk it right when you've been off for as long as he has and you've got little time left even you know best case scenario uh, I think absolutely he had to shut it down for right now. Um, and, and, you know, Rafa's not the only big name player that's returning. Of course, there were a bunch on the women's side of things that we saw in action for the first time in quite a while. Uh, Emma Raducanu, Amanda Nisimova, uh, Angie Kerber, who hadn't played since Wimbledon 2022, and Naomi Osaka as well. So, so many players returning, big name players to be excited about. Um, Abigail on the women's side, who may be among those four that I mentioned, are you most excited to see what they can get back on track and do this year? Well, I actually called Osaka's comeback match in Brisbane, which was really nice because immediately you can see the quality of the ball strike, much like I said of Nadal, is still right there. Um, but secondly, I've never seen her smile and laugh so much in a match. She was so happy to be back, and it was so good to see her playing in that frame and state of mind because that was missing for a long time prior to her taking a break. And I'm not sure if it was ever there in the first place. She was not that kind of personality on the court, really. So I, th I think if she can keep that outlook, then she's 
obviously capable of some very special things. So she's a four-time Grand Slam champion for a reason. I think that she said herself that she is looking to have a big back end of the year. So maybe things get a bit more serious, a bit down the line, when maybe she's had a couple of results that underline that she she's back to do some damage. Uh, but she, she was always a player that, you know, on the hard courts particularly, uh, could take anyone um, if she was timing the ball well. Um, for me, it will be whether she has that kind of sufficient second layer of her game that's going to hold her up in, in some some tricky matches against players that have now established themselves at the top. I think she could have some really good meetings there. Um, I saw a snippet of Angelique Kerber playing United Cup. She was straight back to it. Great competitive fire. And uh, it's it's good that she's coming back at the start of the year. You know, Australian Open champion formerly. She's done well here. And all that kind of thing factors, you know, when you've got good history. So for, so for Kerber, 100%, she's a name to keep an eye on. And I will shout out Emma Redicanu since I'm a Brit and I'm on you here. Have to. And, That's right. uh, yeah. I have to. And I've obviously known her, well, yeah, known her from, from a young age and seen the whole journey of her coming through. This is Redicanu's best shot at a reset of alleviating all pressure internally and as much as she can externally as well. Um, everything when she broke through initially happened so quickly, arguably too quickly. If you look at some of the stats, you know, she, she was ranked inside the top 10 without ever having beaten a top 10 player. That's not on her, that's the field, but that, that was the path that she was given to get to the top. And then the expectations were far too heightened after she won that US Open trophy. Uh, this is her best shot at being able to climb the rat ladder the right way, the way she would have wanted to in the first place and definitely had the potential and ability to. So um, I know that, you know, Emma has high expectations of herself and knows that she has a level in her. And I would not be writing her off from doing something big again in the sport in the future. Right on. It was, it was great to see all those four women come back and get a victory um, during their first tournament, returning after so long. I think Angie Kerber made the right decision clearly playing United Cup because even though I think she went one in four in her singles matches, she got a lot of matches under her belt very early in the season and against some quality opponents as well. Um, Want to switch over and, and uh, focus a little bit on Canadian tennis players for 2024. Now it's our turn to uh, pump up the uh, the, the home, homegrown talent here. Uh, it was an up and down season for Canadian tennis players last year in terms of no deep runs at the slams in singles competition. But we did get a double slam out of Gabby Dabrowski at the U.S. Open. And, of course, at Billie Jean King Cup, Canada uh, emerged as world champions. Which Canadian player do you think stands the best chance to go deep at a major in 2024 in terms of sort of bouncing back from a bit of a lackluster year um, last year in terms of where expected expectations were? Is this for me? Yeah, all my questions are for you. I, I get to speak with. I thought I, I thought you said when you said time, you were going to pick up the Canadians. I thought you were going to tell me like who was going to do what. Um, but no, <laughs> no, no, we we talk about our Canadian players all the time. They're sick mm -hmm. of hearing from us. They want to hear some yeah, out, no, an outside perspective. Look, I, I know, I know you had. Um, her, uh, this is awful because her name does not come to me immediately as I'm sat here at half seven in the morning, which is not wake up time for me. But you had a, a young teenager who who put in a very good showing at the Billie Jean King Cup at the end of last Marita year. Marita Sakushic, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'll be keeping an eye on her this season. Mm -hmm. But uh, in, in terms of players who can bounce back, I would have expected Leila Fernandez to have another good run at a slam by now since the US Open. And it was really great to see her light up at Billie Jean King Cup and get some confidence boosting wins on the way to that title and just remind everyone what she has to offer. Uh, Leila has stood out for me since kind of her mid to late teens in terms of the way she responds to pressure, break points, uh, just her versatility. I know some people have kind of talked down her potential maybe a little bit because she's not the biggest, strongest player, but she's so insanely talented. And I think she has all the assets if she's in a good headspace and has that confidence in her own game uh, to make a deep run at probably any of the, the, the four majors, more likely maybe... Roland Garros on the clay or, or one of the two hard court slams that, than Wimbledon with the grass courts that she's had a bit less exposure to. But I, I would I definitely back Fernandez to be able to do something. Yeah. 
Go ahead, Mike. No, that was my, I was going to segue to you here. I'm going to let you. Okay, perfect. Well, I I will just say, you know, we were asked with Tennis Canada to submit our our top 10 contenders for both the men and the women as we head into the Australian Open. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to ask for you to name 10 off the bat, but if you could look at maybe your top three on the men's and women's side and, and give it some thought, who would those three maybe, maybe be at this stage? Wow, this is the bit I truly hate. Uh, <laughs> let's, well, just let's, let's start with the men's side because okay. I think the men's is always a bit easier. So we've got to go in with Mr. Novak Djokovic. Yep. Ten titles, phenomenal. His loss to Dimonor at United Cup, where he did not play his best level, was his first loss on Australian soil in a ridiculous number of years. Can't remember exactly, but Djokovic is top. Um, and then I think there's a battle for second place. I would throw Daniil Medvedev in there because I think that history is so important when you've got to potentially knock off a great like Djokovic to, to get to the trophy. In Medvedev, you have a player who's played a couple of Australian Open finals, so he knows he has the level to bring on those courts. Um, he's not defending a significant amount of points for him because he'd not quite rounded back into form this time last year. And he definitely got something going at the back end of last season. So I would put Medvedev up there. And based on the fact he could rediscover his form of the first half of 2023, I have to put Carlos Alcaraz in there because he has taken Djokovic in the final of a major and that is absolutely mentally huge and there's no denying what he has to offer in the completion of his game at such a young age. So if I had to give you three right now, they would be my three on the men's side. Um, women's is... Do, do you know what? I've got to give so much credit to to the players on the on the WTA tour because the top players over the last season have really established themselves as a force that are consistently producing. Um, I'd put Arena Sabalenka top after what I saw in in Brisbane. I didn't think probably at the end of last year that I'd be calling her to defend her title, but she clearly has good feelings in this part of the world on these courts. Um, I, I think uh, you know she she had that blowout loss against Rebecca in the Brisbane final but that, that's not always a bad thing to get that out of your system ahead of a tournament where you might come up against that player again and it's often tougher for the player who won the match uh the first time around to actually sustain that form that the player that lost has a lot more to look at in terms of what can be improved that kind of thing so yeah in short I think Sabalenka can light up there again uh, given what she has just done in Brisbane, I'd throw Rebecca in there. If she lands the first strike and gets a good start in her matches, she can take anyone in straight sets. Um, and then the third spot would be a little more up for grabs. Um, I, As well as she started the season, credit to her. I don't think I'd put Goff in there. A lot fell into place for her at the US Open. It was a home Grand Slam. Amazing support every match on Rod, uh, not Rod Laver Arena, Arthur Ashe Stadium. Mm. Uh, I just don't think a lot of things will align for her as well this time around. Um, so, so yeah, third spot a little more up in the air. I might throw a soccer in there. You know, um, I, I I think that's a very risky call given that she did lose to Pliskova in her second match in Brisbane. But again, she's got the history, couple of titles, and. Um, you just never know. We've had some incredible comebacks, including Serena Williams herself uh, at the Australian Open before. And, and there's no reason why Osaka, you know, if if she's not too rusty, couldn't do that. If not Osaka, I think I'd put Iga Sriansak in there for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, look, Abigail, uh, Ben and I both agree that uh, when it comes to our top three on this side of uh, things, you were definitely among them. And you've proven that with your performance this morning. I mean, for waking up and and talking so in depth on things and giving us that great analysis, I'm floored. We got to have you back at a more reasonable time next time to see what you can do then, I suppose. And uh, thanks for sharing with us. Thanks for being here with us once again. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, you're excited to see who can consolidate on things in 2024. And you had such a big, um, gigantic leap forward. It felt like with your own career last year in 23. So we're excited to see how you consolidate on that. And hope you check back in with us later in the season. And uh, we wish you all the best in 2024. Thanks so much, guys. All the best for your season. I look forward to listening to the podcast. And as a parting note, I will just throw out there, I will not be surprised if Rafa Nadal wins Roland Garros. There you go, Ben. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) Thanks, Abigail. Okay. Thanks, guys.
there you have it, commentator Abigail Johnson, who always has so much insight and perspective. And I'm glad you commentated on her surge in success because I feel like we're hearing her voice more and more in different places, uh, whether it's Eurosport, Tennis TV, in the commentary booth there, and uh, you know, Slam Radio, which is now really a big platform for a lot of people. Yeah, she's a rising star for sure, I would say, in the sport. Very young, but already quite established and worked her way up sort of in the same way that, uh, you know, a tennis player would doing futures mm -hmm. matches, calling those challenger level matches. And now certainly more established and recognized for the work that she's done. And and we see her at the slams and we see her at big tournaments and she's very versatile, um, can handle a bunch of different roles at the tournaments as well. Love listening to her match analysis. Fantastic having her on our podcast. And I mean, this is the sixth year, as you mentioned earlier, for Matchpoint Canada being the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And I feel like she's one of the uh, the originals from uh, from back in our first year. We've had her on um, for as many years as I can remember now. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, as our listeners just you know found out, if you haven't heard from her before, good reason, because she can get up at seven in the morning and absolutely crush a podcast appearance like she just did. Yeah, yeah. Already like a seasoned veteran. You know, one point she made... Uh that she's looking to in the new tennis season, which players are able to consolidate their performances from the previous year. And I think that leads us into Auckland and the ASB Classic because Coco Goff did precisely that in the first week of the tennis season. She defended her title at the ASB Classic uh, with a great week of tennis, uh, defeats Alina Svitolina in a tough final, 6-7, 6-3, 6-3. Uh, but just the fact that, you know, Goff, after that emotional, incredible U.S. Open win over the summer and how well she played that uh, she looks content to pick up right where she left off. And, and you could understand if there was a hiccup. Uh, I mean, Abigail was talking about Emma Raducanu from her country and how difficult it's been for her since winning that Grand Slam title a couple of years ago. Different stories. Coco Goff had a lot more success already coming into her first Slam win. She had won in Cincinnati. She had a terrific summer winning tournaments at different levels just successively getting stronger and stronger from dc to cincy to the u.s open but nonetheless after winning that one you can imagine how many more companies came knocking on her door how much more sponsorship um how many more people wanted interviews how many more friends suddenly came out of the woodwork that probably wanted to hang out and and sort of you know have some time with her so you never know how a player is going to handle all of that that being said she seems incredibly grounded we've had her on the podcast before uh, we can say way back when, I guess now, because it was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she's come so far and I think really has a great team around her, has the parents there. And I, I feel like compared to some kids, phenoms who have the overbearing parents, I think her parents really, you know, have a good finger on, on the pulse of things with her. Um, and so to see her come out of the gates in 2024, win this title, obviously for her and her fans, couldn't have scripted it any better heading into the Aussie Open, where she's undoubtedly one of the favorite players here. Yeah, she she has to be, and uh, certainly someone else who has a pulse on her game and has been that huge positive influence, Brad Gilbert, in her coaching team. And we already see videos of them getting to work uh, in Melbourne with practice sessions uh, ahead of the Australian Open. Look, as we chat now, we, we don't have a main draw yet, but uh, just by virtue of the tennis she's played basically since dating back to July, I, I think she has to be, at, at the very least, in the top four of contenders uh, to, to win it all. Absolutely. And her ranking is there. Her confidence is there. Her results are there. Um, and we knew the leap was coming when she was ranked inside mm -hmm. the top 20. We knew it wouldn't be long before she was up there. Uh, I think that slam came a little bit sooner than, than I expected. Uh, and, and that, I think, is really just going to embolden her even more moving forward and give her even more confidence. And, you know, maybe we touch base for a second about the woman she beat in the finals, Alina Svitolina, who came back. Uh, not quite halfway through last season in the clay part of the season uh, after giving birth and, and having some time off for, for a mat leave that was actually pretty short when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And she came back and, and just kind of hit the ground running, went deep at Wimbledon, which was terrific. Um, I think matched a career best or even uh, one up her career best at Wimbledon. Uh, this was an established top 10 player. And I see no reason why she cannot get back to the top 10. Uh, you and I have done a, a, a little power ranking uh, input for Tennis Canada. I don't know about you, but I put her just inside my my top 10 hitting into the Aussie Open. Yep. Uh, and she was a well-established top 10 presence for for many years. And I think nothing that that's going to hold her back from from getting there again. Yeah. Look, in uh, our last episode, actually, of 2023, too, we, we had our uh, 
predictions of a couple of players we thought could crack the top 10. We did for the first time in their careers. And I gave the honorable mention to Alina Spitalina feeling like if, if she can play a complete calendar year, she can absolutely return to the top 10. And this is a player who's been ranked as high as number three in the world, won an abundance of titles. And that really, I think, sets her up well for the first slam of the season. And she can pick up a lot of points because she didn't play the Australian Open last year. So big time opportunity. Uh, You know, we'll see what type of draw she gets. But if she's making the second week of a slam already, she's going to be making a big leap in the rankings. Uh, The ASB Classic continuing with the men this week in the lead up to the Australian Open. Denis Shapovalov playing his first event since Wimbledon. Unfortunate that we already have to reveal uh, he lost his opening round match to Sebastian Offner. I, I suppose our expectations were probably tempered for Dennis, just for the the sheer fact that he hadn't played a professional match since July. Ranked 116th in the world right now. He's going to have his work cut out for him. It's not going to be easy. He's not going to get the benefit of any draws. And for a while, it seemed he was, I don't have it up in front of me, but he's been in the top 30 for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And yet was having difficulty with the draws, even when when seated, it seemed like. Now he's going to be not seated, facing tougher players even sooner in those draws. It's going to be quite challenging. Uh, the positive being, I suppose, not very many ranking points to defend from last year. Uh, certainly, clearly not from Wimbledon onwards. So, you know, huge gains he could make in the second half of 2024. But uh, yeah, his reality is he's going to have to really uh, get out there and, and work hard. Something that his former coach, Mikhail, usually, I believe you were the one who shared this with me recently, kind of alluded uh, is maybe something that's, uh, I don't want to say missing, but could be improved upon in Chapo's uh, training re- regimen. Yeah, Eugene, um implied that it was not his number one priority tennis, that it wasn't always number one in his life. And that if you want to be at the top of this sport or or stay at the top of this sport and be con- competitive week in and week out, it has to be. And Denis Shapovalov, uh, you know, publicly took issue with that. He replied on on Twitter or X, I suppose they call it now, uh, suggesting uh, that he's he's been committed to tennis since he's been five years old. And uh, I, he, he did take the comments from Yushni, I think, quite personally, maybe because Yushni was speaking out publicly in an interview. And I, I think there was some context there because Yuzni was complimentary to his game and his personality and, and certain aspects. But uh, look, the reality is Dennis is going to have to work very, very hard to get back towards the top of the game without a doubt. I, I think it has to be a reset year for him, given what's transpired with the injury. He seems like, you know, comfortable and, and happy uh, on social media. You You get the sense that He's enjoying himself in practice and training and wants to get back out there. Maybe he has to also understand this could be a process that takes a, a little bit of time as we've seen players return from, from injury, serious injury. Uh, it can really take a while. Uh, and the tour doesn't wait around for you. It just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And he's got all the time, though, to have that reset. What is he, 24, turning 25 this year? I mean, he's got, yeah. he's got all the time to do it. And uh, maybe if we segue to another player who is clearly hit the reset button in uh, in fine fashion a little bit older mind you so there's always time and that's Grigor Dimitrov who wins his first title in six years which actually shocked me to think about it uh, that it's been that long for a player with so much talent and with the Aussie Open coming up you talk about players who are you know dark horse candidate perhaps uh, Grigor definitely fits into that one and he's had success down under before making the quarterfinals three times at the Aussie Open, semifinals in 2017. Uh, this is a player who I think could definitely do some damage as the first major of the year uh, is upon us. It's what a tremendous resurgence uh, from Grigor. And at this stage of his career, uh, I mean, I think maybe a lot of us thought the decline was certainly coming and he had dipped in form the previous couple of years, especially you know, probably around 2021, 2022. He, he was not really a slam contender uh, to make even second weeks anymore. Wasn't winning tournaments, as we know, because this was his first title in six years. But he's been building towards it basically since the U.S. Open. He's gone 19-5 and five since that point. 
he had that incredible run in Paris making uh, the finals there. Uh, he's had five top 10 wins since the U.S. Open. He made the semifinals in Shanghai. So he, he's been playing tremendous tennis. And I, I think for Grigor, kind of coming up as a junior, he got that unfair label that we all remember. People called him baby fed. Baby fed. <laughs> and I mean... To, to receive the comp to Roger Federer as you're beginning your career, talk about heaping a world of expectations on a young player. And I, I think we've, if you take that out of the equation and just look at the career he's had, um, he's won a Masters 1000. He's been to the semifinals of a slam. He won the Nito ATP finals back in 2017, by far the biggest win of his career. Got to world number three. I mean, this is a very, very good tennis career. It's just we we had that expectation of someone who could maybe achieve greatness and win multiple slams. And it's it's such a hard bar to climb. Who could possibly live up to the label of baby fed? It, it seems, you know, almost impossible. So I, I'm really happy for him to to have this success again. He was incredibly emotional after the victory. So uh, I think if he keeps it up, he's he's definitely on my dark horse list as somebody who could make, make a run to the second week, maybe make a quarter. You know, I'm just thinking there's a baby fed, but has there ever been a baby Nadal, a baby Rafa, or a baby... Novak? Well, he has a son now. <laughs> if we, if we want to give it, I don't know, 16 years or so. Um and look, I, I think, you know, Alcaraz, obviously being from Spain, the, the comp was there, but his game style seems to be, you know, almost an amalgamation of all the big three in a way in the way he plays. So there's been tremendous expectation on Carlitos and incredibly, he's already delivered at, at such a young age. But uh, Grigor is still delivering at, at age 32, I think, is really special in the sport. And he was among my top 10 contenders in Australia because he's he's earned it. Yeah, I put him in there as well. And, uh, you know, maybe we dive into that a little bit more in our next episode once the Aussie Open draws out there as well and see how the players that, that we favored, um, you know, uh, fit in there. Unfortunately, one of the players I would have put in my top 10 and you would have as well was Rafa Nadal. We already spoke with uh, with Abigail about how, unfortunately, he will be missing this early segment of the season. And we hope we can get to see him back soon enough. Uh, did you want to go over to United, United Cup and and share a little bit about how that event played out in its first ever edition, men and women together. Um, I'll just say I love the fact that the mixed doubles had such a, a prominent place. It uh, it played a huge role uh, in Germany's ride uh, to their victory as uh, how many of their ties came down to that ultimate matchup. And I think it's great for doubles to get that prominence and to get that position for, for people to see it and for it to count for something and to really matter and to also get some of the biggest stars in the game out there playing doubles. When we see the National Bank Open here in Toronto and Mm -hmm. Montreal, you always get some singles players that don't often play doubles that do team up because it's kind of at that stage of the hardcourt swing in the summer where they want to get a little extra match play coming off of the grass, and we love to see it, along with those established doubles tandems as well. And I, I like that sort of combination between the two. Um, So I think that was my highlight of United Cup was the fact that doubles played um, such a clutch role. Yeah, it, it was pivotal really for Germany uh, to to win this title because in the semis they had to win the tie and mixed doubles, and again in the finals, uh, Siegemann and Zverev defeating Iga Swiatek and Hubert Hurkacz, and both their semifinal and final in mixed doubles went to the match tiebreak. Uh, both had you know flair and dramatics, and it was absolutely a highlight. Uh, some of the highlights that were kind of making the waves on social media was a few of the women out hitting the men from the back of the court in mixed doubles. I loved it, particularly Iga Swiatek. Uh, at one point, you know, ripping forehand cross-court winners past Zverev, which I think everybody likes to see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there were, there were a lot of highlight reels in that sense. <clears throat> I think the the singles format, it was great as well, um, exchanging off between the men and women. A lot of competitive matches. Iga, I thought, mm, pardon me, had a phenomenal week, 5-0 and in singles. Hubert Hurkacz playing well as well for Poland. Uh, big disappointment, I, I would say, is just Canada did not have Felix ready to to compete. And we were eager to see him get the opportunity to play. And instead, Steven Diaz had to uh, step in in singles twice. And honestly, I, I thought he fared fairly well, despite a couple losses. Competitive enough with Tsitsipas. Uh, you know, Canada held their own uh, for the most part in the group, uh, but otherwise unable to advance. Yeah, and against Chile, uh, Diaz got a victory in the mixed doubles with Layla, so that was nice to see. They came out of that uh, winning 2-1. to one. 
up against Greece, you're up against two of the best players in the world. Maria Sakkari, um, who has beaten Layla before. Cece Pass, who is usually on fire playing in uh, in Australia. Um, last three years, what? He's made the finals and then two prior semifinals at the Aussie Open too. So he loves this time of year. And no disrespect to Steven Diaz, but not the same caliber of player, obviously, as a as a top 10 like um, like Stefanos. Um, neat to see Stacy Fung out there get an experience mm-hmm. to play alongside Felix in the mixed doubles, uh, despite in a, a losing straight set uh, battle against Greece. And uh, Felix, I was a little bit troubled not to see him, I guess, ready yet to test himself out in singles. So that was a little bit concerning, but hopefully we do get to see him play this week in, um, where is he, Auckland? Um, yep. Yeah. And he's, yeah. Uh, he's the number four seed and, and scheduled to play Altmaier in the, uh, in the first round. So, I think it is really important that he plays there and has to probably get some match play leading into Melbourne for sure. Yeah. And you know what? Hey, look, folks, Canada can't win every single international competition that we enter. Okay. <laughs> we got the Davis cup. We yep. got the Billie Jean King cup. Those are the two big ones. We got the ATP cup. What we was did. that last? Was that last January or two Januaries ago now? I forget. Two but... ago, yeah. Two ago, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So we've won the two biggest ones in the world and uh, you know how, how tight it is and how, how many nations out there just have the depth and uh, no disrespect that, but the squad that we put on the court just didn't quite have that depth this time. However, Davis cup, which is coming up in Montreal in just under a month's time, Canada versus Korea. I like the look of that squad. How about you? Yeah, I, I think it's first of all, huge that Dennis Shapovalov is committed to, to playing uh, for Davis cup and qualifiers here. And this is, I think the perfect format for him to be returning to this competition when he has been away from the game for some time, it's not going to be a regular tournament, but he will get opportunity in match play. And then we have the Montreal and Quebec factor of Gabriel Diallo and Alexi Gallerno. We're both from there. Uh, that'll be special, you know, playing in front of your home fans. And of course we have captain Canada and Vashik Pospisil who always uh, answers the call and suits up for his country. So I, I think Canada's brought a, a strong roster and they'll, they're definitely going to be the favorites on paper against Korea. It's a nice mix. You've got the youth of Diallo and Gallerno, who um, undoubtedly will get into some singles action alongside Dennis. You got Vashik there. And from the training videos I've seen online, he looks like he's much more fit and hopefully close to 100% this year as he starts 2024. Uh, the Montreal crowd is going to love seeing, um, you know, some of their own there mm-hmm. in action. And it's cool. It's going to be at IGA Stadium, which is where the tournament is held in the summer. Uh, don't worry, it won't be outdoors. A little too cold for that. Although I think the Canadians could probably handle it. Um, you know, we've seen it in soccer matches before where Canada welcomes countries that aren't quite used to that weather and they play outside in, in frigid temperatures. But they're putting uh, some sort of bubble or temporary um, enclosure around that stadium. Uh, to still hopefully fill it with quite a few fans. And um, I, I don't know about you. You thinking about going? Because I'm kind of thinking about going to that one. Hey, I definitely plan to go. <clears throat> I I think, you know, Montreal, it's not it's not a far trip. I have family who live there, so I have a place to stay. I, I can't miss point this Canada, one. Match point Canada road trip. Yeah, why not? Let's do right. it. We'll have to work I, out I, a playlist before we go. I'm not just listening to your, you know, I'm sure your tunes are. You probably got good taste in music. Too, I'm right? sure we overlap a little bit. Uh, right, you might right. you might be surprised. Um, but, uh, uh, that'd be fun to take our show yeah. on the road and 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 do that one for sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, I mean, we talked about a few of the players returning this week: Nadal, Osaka, Kerber, Amanda Inismova, Emma Raducanu, who, of course, Abigail Johnson spoke at length about. Who were you most impressed by, maybe out of that group of players in in their return in the first week? I mean, it's kind of too soon to say, I feel like. And yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is they all kind of went to the same the same distance in their tournaments, right? Like, I think they all won one, lost one. Kerber had a few more losses just by virtue of the way that things were structured um, at the United Cup. But I just think it's fantastic to have all, all four of those players back because, you know, the women's game is already super strong and there's so much depth. And my goodness, to get all those players back. I mean, Anisimova to me still has huge potential. Feels like she's been around a long time, but is only like 21, 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, has gone deep at, at majors before. Um, Radicano sounds much more positive. Having Naomi Osaka back and the fact that, you know, as Abigail was saying, she's smiling and looking so relaxed and, and, and happy to be back out there, which is wonderful. So maybe becoming a parent has given her sort of a different perspective on things and reprioritize what's, what's truly important in life. And 
gosh, if she's out there swinging even more freely, look out because I think she's still got lots to prove. And uh, I think with, you know, the added names at the top of the women's game, since she sort of stepped back, um, she throws in a, a, a nice, um, another voice there that, that I think is going to have a lot to, um, to say this year. Yeah, and look, I, I thought she played a terrific match against Karolina Pliskova. Pliskova won 6-4 in the third. The difference of points, 101 to 100 for Pliskova, and it was incredibly high level. 30 aces between the two players, I believe, it was something like 87 winners struck. So it was high level throughout, and I, I think for her to return to competition and play already that elite level tennis, and that was kind of prime Pliskova as well. So uh, that, that sets up for her well and nicely going into the Australian Open and Naomi already looks ready maybe not ready to win in Melbourne down under but ready to compete and it's going to be a huge platform for her season before we wrap I want to give a shout out as well to Alex Dimenauer our National Bank Open finalist in Toronto after his great week at the United Cup big win over Novak Djokovic in straight sets he has cracked the top 10 for the first time in his career. He's now number 10 in the rankings. So uh, what a jump he's made over the past year. So kudos to him for that. And we always love it when someone who's had success here in Canada goes on and, and you know, sustains that or adds to that. And uh, he's a heck of a nice guy too. So yeah, I was happy to see that as well. Uh, next episode, Aussie Open preview. And yep. I think we can let it out of the bag that we've got uh, Daniela Hantikova returning to Matchpoint Canada. It's been a couple of years, but she used to be a regular with us. She will be back to set up all the action for the next episode. So make sure you tune in for that one. And uh, I think you and I got to sort of uh, work the pipes a little bit here because you could tell. I we, know, right? We <laughs> haven't had a full episode in a while and our, our voices are definitely showing the strain already. It's not a micro tear. I think we'll be good for the Aussie Open, but uh, we got to, uh, you know, yeah, get into game shape here as the season gets underway. Yeah, a little rust on my part. I apologize. Uh, but Daniela Hantukova coming up on the next episode. Perfect guest, former semifinalist in Australia. Guys, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. Bye.